And uh, in regards to that 17 years, thank you for being my family. Amen. Um, God, I had a professor once uh, explain to me, biblical success is finding out what God asks you to do and doing it. And uh, that applies to everybody. Uh, It doesn't just have to be somebody who stands up in front of the church every week and preaches. If you know what God wants you to do and you do it, then he's pleased with you and you can be successful. So, And I thank the Lord that we have a church full of folks that are busy every week uh, serving the Lord, doing their part. Uh, So Dan and I have the privilege of standing up in front of you publicly and sharing the word of God. And uh, it's, it's a joy and thankful for that. And uh, I'm very thankful for, for Dan as well. Uh, he, God has both gifted us with, uh, with teaching. We're, we're both uh, very good at that. And uh, it's a privilege as well. And uh, it excites me to know that um, we have a bunch of folks in our church who also love to hear God's word and teach because we know that's the most important thing is... Uh, we were praying downstairs, and I'm just so thankful for this book that we don't have to create Christian ideas. We don't have to come up with something new. We don't have to uh, listen to political scenarios and, and watch the culture and, and, and create something new to talk about. God has given us what we need in his word, and we have the privilege to just break it down and, and share it with one another, which is an amazing thing. So with that in mind, on your way to the book of Malachi is where we have gone. We looked at an introduction. We looked at an overview last week, and uh, we were reminded how uh, God begins to talk to the children of Israel and bring out nine different areas in which they were struggling. And we know that this book of Malachi is coming in a really tough time in the children of Israel. When you get to the minor prophets, Israel has slidden quite a ways away from the Lord. And uh, they're waiting for Messiah to come. There's going to be 400 years where nobody hears from God at all. And so it's uh, very kind of similar to what we're looking at today. Uh, That um, times are getting darker. People are going further and further away from God's word and his uh, standards. And uh, we're waiting for the Lord to come, and we're just kind of twiddling thumbs. And uh, like I said, Dan and I and all of us, we talk about it all the time, that I believe it won't be long. But you know what? There were people two, three, four hundred years ago who said it wouldn't be long either. You know, So every day that ticks by, we are that much closer to the Lord coming. And uh, we're thankful for that. But the Lord here uh, in Malachi is dealing with some tough issues, and we talked about that last week. We talked about the children of Israel and their response and how it sounded like a teenager, right? They said, you know, God would say, well, this is what you've done. And so, well, yeah, well, that's what you say. Well, prove it. You know, and we see that kind of response in the book. And we're going to look at again that this morning. But uh, what I wanted to address first is right here in this first uh, verse of Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The word is the burden of the word of the Lord. And that word burden, uh, so we're getting our PowerPoint up here. That word burden, as we look at it, is, it's heavy, it's weighty, it is serious. Um, We just talked, Israel in their latter years entered very dark days. And God continues to reach out to them and repent, even though things seem to be getting worse and worse. And 
Uh, the promised Messiah hasn't come yet. It was just what we saying. But he says this is a burden. You can chase this word from the, through the scripture. This is the same word they use when you laden down a donkey with a heavy load. It is a burden. And uh, I think it's important that we understand that we have serious, heavy words to share. And the words we're going to look at in Malachi aren't the easiest words to share. But something interesting, next slide, is the prophets had of this very same burden to deliver. If you'd look at it, not only did they talk about Israel at that time, but they have words about the end times, and we'll touch base on those. But look here at this next part. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, and Malachi all use this phrase. As a matter of fact, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, actually start their books in the same way. The burden of the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord. They realized how heavy, how important, how serious the words that they needed to share were. And I think before we go any further, I need to remind us that's where we are, folks. We have a joyous delivery of the gospel, which is the good news. It is something that is amazing, something that is merciful and graceful and loving, but it's a serious message. And I think too often, in especially the Western culture of Christianity, we've lost how important and how meaningful and how burdensome this message is. That we need to remind people that God is calling them to repentance. In churches all around, they want to talk about love, and I want to address this today because that's the subject we'll be talking about that God is love, okay? And just love means just letting people do whatever they want, however they want, and don't ever talk anything serious with them. Just present God as a loving God. He just loves you, and no matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter what you do. And that is not the way God works, and we're going to see that again today. So this is a burden that God is love. God is the creator of love. The only reason you and I understand love is because God showed us what love truly is and he created us as loving beings. But that doesn't mean that it is without a standard. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All right, and uh, the importance of this message. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much for your love. And again, just the words I spoke, we would not understand what love is if it were not the loving creator and master of this entire creation. Lord, created it in us. You are a loving being. You reached out to us in love. And Father, I just pray you'd help us to understand that today. But Lord, love doesn't mean a license to live however we want to live. You are extremely clear on that today and this morning in your passage here. And Father, in other of the minor prophets, they shared that the, the commandments and the rebuking and the call to repentance that they were giving was a burden that needed to be shared. So Father, I just pray you help us find that balance. It is a serious message, but Lord, there's no better answer to this message than the love of God. So Father, help me. Um, Lord, be with uh, my mind, help it to share those things which uh, would be used to help us understand. Lord, use your Holy Spirit to go before us and touch each one of our hearts with what we need today. So, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, right here in the first two verses I want to read. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. And we'll stop right there. So as God is going to share these words to call to repentance and this rebuke, he starts out the book with saying, I have loved you. And I love that. Go ahead and look next part here. Now, uh, go back one. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Now, this I found absolutely amazing. And uh, there's a rule in Bible study that is called the first mention rule. So that when you look into God's word, if you find something mentioned for the first time, because God is consistent, he uses the same definition and the same concept throughout his whole Bible. So I started digging last night just to be, you know, because I was wanting to get a little bit deeper into this than I was planning on at first. So last night I started digging and said, Lord, I want to look up the first time you used the word love in your Bible. And I was shocked to find out it was Genesis chapter 22. Now, to give you an idea, we are going past Adam and Eve. We're going past Adam and Eve's kids. We're going all the way to Noah. We're going past Noah. We're going all the way to Genesis chapter 22, which is Abraham, before we find the word love used in the Bible. Now, that's a lot of history. And that's a lot of people. Now, am I saying, or is God saying that uh, people didn't love one another back then? No. Turn to Genesis chapter 22, if you would please turn there. And I want you to see, God knows exactly what he is doing when he puts together his word. So we understand that there was love. We know that God defines it later in the New Testament about how Adam loved Eve and how those things. And we understand that there was love, but God chooses not to use this word love in the scripture until he finds the picture that's going to describe what this love truly is throughout his, the rest of his word. You with me in Genesis chapter 22? Love this. This is amazing. And this is both in the Hebrew and in the English. This is the first time you find the word love. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. The first time God decides to use the word love in the word of God is in this picture of the father loving his only son who he would have to sacrifice. Now let that sink in for a minute. Because we understand how what love is defined in God's word. Greater love hath no man than this. That Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of love. He was born in this world to sacrifice himself for our sins. And God chose that the first time he would use love is not with Adam and Eve. And we know that the Bible talks about that Adam was so much in love with Eve, he decided to fall in sin and get kicked out of the garden as opposed to being separated from Eve and be with God. We know love was there. We understand through all these marriage relationships, all the way through Noah and everything else, that there was love. God chose the first time he would record the word love in his Bible is a picture of the only son being sacrificed by the father 
You understand how important sometimes is just looking at when God uses the word for the first time. So when God here in Malachi says, I have loved you, I want us to remember that the ultimate illustration of love in God's word is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth and sacrificing himself for us. It's an amazing thing to me. I, was like, I just said to Kim, I said, I, I, I would have never made that connection that the word love is not used until God uses it to picture Jesus Christ being sacrificed for you and me. That is an amazing thought. And that is how God defines love. So, when we talk about this, God is talking to Israel. And again, if you're a good parent, next slide. A good father and a mother should always deal in correction and rebuke and discipline with love. So God is going to write some pretty harsh words here in this book of Malachi. He's calling, he's rebuking them, he's correcting them, he's calling to them to repentance. He's saying, you guys, Israel, you've drifted away, and I got some issues we got to deal with. But he wants us first to understand that it's all based upon love. I know the, uh, the old phrase, right? When the mother and father have the child, and the child has done something that they're not supposed to. And the mother and father will say the words that we all know so very well. This hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. And the child says, yeah, right. All right, you turn over and give me the paddle. Okay, but the understanding is a good father, a good mother, a successful parent corrects and disciplines, rebukes their child out of love. Okay, that it was never supposed to be done in anger. And again, I will let you know, and I'm not shying away from this. In this world, we've tried to uh, say times are different, so you shouldn't spank a child. Okay? That is not God's way. God still talks about a little swat on the backside as, and again, people, <gasps> listen, it is nev- the, it, the issue is it is never to be done in anger. It is always supposed to be done in love. Okay, we could talk a lot about this. Listen, when my kids he- reached the teenage years and I told them they were going to be off their Xbox for a week, they would have rather taken the spanking. Okay, but let me li- listen. I'm now careful. Now we're talking about a little physical discipline. You can also use other disciplinary action, actions in anger, and they're not acceptable either. The issue is not how you dispense a discipline and a correction. It is the attitude that is displayed while you do it. It is always supposed to be out of love. The goal is to cause the child to do better and understand that they have violated one of the rules. Okay? Now again, your rules in your house are probably a little different than my rules, but God's rules are careful. But he wants us to understand, listen, I'm going to lay out some serious things against you, Israel, but the first thing I need you to understand is I've loved you. This is the reason I've done this. Because love. All right? Now come on. I know, you know we get all serious when we start talking about this. If my children ran by with a lighter and a can of gasoline. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rebuke them. Why? Not just because they're going to burn the house down. Because I love them and I don't want them to get hurt. Okay? We set a curfew that the children went to bed early. 
Okay, so that they can get the amount of rest that they need, so they're not absolute hellions in the morning when they have to go to school. All right, they don't eat candy at 10 o'clock at night, so that they're bouncing off the wall till you know 3 a.m. and then have a sugar crash and they're miserable the next day. None of those things are done because, by golly, we hate candy in this house. No, we're done because. Out of love, we understand we're trying to teach them things that will benefit them for the rest of their lives. Why don't we give God the same credit? God is going to deal with some pretty harsh issues in this book, and the first thing he said is, listen, I've loved you. I need you to understand that, that this is done out of love. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, wait a minute. How many times have people questioned? Does God love me? How can he love me? Now again, for those of us who spend time in, uh, with God's family and we talk about and display God's love one to another all the time, and uh, that's a great thing and we can understand that, but how many of you walk, walk around in this world and talk to people and they can't comprehend God's love? Amen. That they just don't understand how a God can love them. Man, I, I could back up and play Sunday school because Dan was describing the Apostle Paul and all the horrendous things that the Apostle Paul did and that he was describing to Timothy saying, listen, those guys you're putting up with who are heretics right now are not even close to what I was. Yet God reached out in mercy and love and forgave me. Can God love you? Absolutely. Everything that God has done in this entire creation is out of love. And again, we could sit here the rest of the day and just list all the loving things that God does for us on a moment-by-moment basis. Man, you know, this is me. and Again, probably not you, but I like gardening. Okay, my garden's probably a mess, but I love it. And so... Every night I go out and put my chickens away, put the ducks away, it's dark, lock up the coop. And I got my flashlight with me, and I just stand there, and my wife will tell you, I do, it makes me smile. I just sit there and look at the garden with the flashlight, and I see all these little things growing. And there's tomatoes on the bushes, and there's little cucumbers, and you know, maybe I'll sneak around that side and grab a couple of snap peas off the vine and munch them while I'm out there looking at it. And it's things like that that remind me how much my God loves me. Now, maybe for you it's something different. But for me, I just love watching God grow things, watching this amazing creation around us function the way it does. God shows us his love continuously. Are we looking? Are we watching? How many of you in your Christian walk I've been there. Get to the teenage mode. You know, teenagers, I think they realize their parents love them. But uh, when they get to that point, I hate you. Why? I don't want these rules. I don't want to do it. I want to do my own thing. I want to do it. Ever been there? If you don't shake your head, yes, you are a liar. Yet as parents, we realize, listen, They'll come around. I uh, won't tell the whole story, but I remember my three children were in a room at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and I was 
within earshot, but I wasn't in the room. And my eldest son was speaking to his sister and said, Dad was right. And I just, I stopped for a minute and I listened a little bit more. And she said, blah, 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 whatever she said. And he goes, yeah, Dad's right. I almost fell over backwards. Okay, this is a, he grew enough in his life to realize that the things that we had been saying were the right things. Just sometimes we don't like it because we want to do our thing. And I just smiled and said, Father, thank you so much. And again, the things that we were doing was not out of spite or anger, it was out of love. And to see one of your children actually realize, yes, you know why he's doing this, because it's the right thing to do, it's because he loves you. If we would realize that that's the kind of relationship that God desires with us. So many times we say the phrase, I'm not a religious person, I have a relationship with God. And most of the foundation to that is because we understand his absolutely amazing love. That the reason we can be pleasing to our Lord and serve our Lord and have heaven as our home and have our sins forgiven in that mercy is not because we go through a bunch of rituals, not because we do works for salvation, but because we have a relationship that is based upon love. When my children were a little bit um, contrary, how about I pick that word? I still loved them. I still wanted the absolute best for them. They may not have understood it at that moment, but that was what you and I as parents do. That's the same thing God wants. Our relationship is based on his amazing love. Let's look at the next part. The only way that we know what love is is because of God. Write these verses, 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And down the chapter a little bit more, we love him because he first loved us. The only reason you and I have any understanding what love is is because God is love and he created us in his image. And that is how we are supposed to relate back to God because of his love. But keep going. Saw this. Told you I was doing a little extra research on this, just tinkering around and The Lord led me to this thing, and I heard it, and I didn't believe it, so I looked it up even more. This fella, Marcel Declure, I don't speak French, so you'll have to deal with me. A painter in Paris sent a love letter to Magdalene Day, whatever her last name is, there you go. Okay, the letter was simply the French word, I love you, catch this, written 1,875,000 times. Now, for those of you fellows who don't like sitting down and writing a sticky note to your wife that says, I love you, this guy wrote it, had it written down 1,875,000 times. Okay. Not only that, he hired a scribe. So get this. Uh, the consensus in, he was a little lazy. But so he stood over the scribe and said the word, I love you. And the scribe wrote the word, I love you. And then, next part of the slide, he had the scribe read it back to him every time he said it to him. Now, check this out. All told, 
the phrase was spoken and written 5,625,000 times in this letter. Between him saying it, the guy writing it, and him saying it back to him. Talk about a love letter. I mean, just having it written down 1.8 million times. I don't even know how he shipped this letter to I, I, It's like watching the, the Santa Claus, right, delivering the naughty list. It comes in just back. I don't know how, how he got it to him, but 5,625,000 times. And many, of, uh, many claim, and you can look this up, they had it on Ripley's Believe It or Not. They had it on a bunch of other things. This is not, uh, you know, some farce or some made-up thing that this is the greatest love letter ever written. Okay, uh, I suppose by virtue of number of times written, that's pretty awesome. After about the 600,000th time I read the word I love you, it might get a little tedious. You know, okay, why do you love me? <laughs> Just, I love you, I love you. I, you I, all morning, and I don't even know who, the, who sang the song, but back in the 60s, one of those groups sang that song. I love you, 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 I love you. I love you, I love you. Anybody remember that song or is it just me? All right, somebody. I'm just thinking, this poor woman had to read a love letter that said I love you 1.8 million times. Okay, so again, I kind of think maybe he could have added a little bit more, but I'll tell you what. I believe there's something a lot greater love letter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So I talk about the greatest love letter in the world. It was written that many times, and there's other romantic letters written. There is nothing that expresses the love of God more than this. God sent his only son to die for our sins. Again, again, that's why I think it's amazing that the first time love is found in the scripture is found when Abraham is asked to sacrifice his only son. What a picture. Now, with that in mind, though, so we're talking about how awesome this love of God is and his rebuke and his instruction is based upon his amazing love for us and understanding that the only reason we get it, the only reason we have it in our world is because God created love to be shared with one another. God loved because he wanted to. As much as people think they can earn it. Listen, I didn't love my children just because they did things. I loved them because I'm their father. Now, did I want them to take out the trash sometimes and make their bed and eat all their food? We were talking about that yesterday at lunch. One of my children would never eat. We brought home a pizza one day, and he says, Can I have a peanut butter and jelly? I'm like, Whose child are you? Okay, wanted him to learn to eat healthy because we loved him. It's not based upon what they did. It's because they're our children and we love them. God loves us because he is love. And he wants us to love him back in return. And guys, this is the basis of salvation. This is the basis of creation. This is the basis of glorifying God We're created to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because He loves us and He wants us to love Him back. You accomplish that 
by getting the right relationship fixed through the forgiveness that we receive in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We have the ability for the first time. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So once you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the first opportunity in your life to have that loving relationship with God and please him. That's what God wants. He designed this universe and created us so he would have a loving relationship. That's awesome. But God also... Well, I'm going to... I'm jumping ahead of my slides. So here's that teenage, sure, prove it, response where he says, I have loved ye, loved you, and ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Oh, really? I I don't think you loved us. Prove it. Okay, they're talking back to God. And how many people in this world... And again, this is developing this out in the misunderstanding we have in Christian, Christendom, I'll say it that way. That people think that just because they can have a religion and do things and go to church at a certain time and pray prayers when they're supposed to say it and give money when they're supposed to do it and give to charity and do all these things, that somehow they're earning the love of God. That is never how it worked. And if that's how it worked with your children, i got to come sit down with you and we'll have some counseling. Because we love because they're our kids, not just because they do things for us. But there are thousands, yea, millions of believers on a Sunday morning that are thinking that they're ginning up God's love by doing a few things religiously. That has never been God's basis. God loves us whether we do what's right or not. Yes? Now, does he want us to do the right thing? Absolutely. But his love stays the same. It's not, oh, you were in church on Sunday. Now, I've got to be careful because uh, this is one of those ones where you say, oh, well, here goes the attendance. You know, God loves you whether you're in church or not. <gasps> oh, good. We can technique, technique. Uh, We could take next week off, right? God loves you whether you read your Bible or not. Oh, well, good. That's such a pain sometimes. God loves you because you're his children. But God expects more from his children. You ever have that issue, and I've talked about it before, the neighborhood kids would be playing in the yard, and all of a sudden I'd come outside and I'd say, Hey! You, you, and you, get in the house. You're my three children, the rest of you go home. Now, I had control and discipline over my children. I had no say over the neighbor's kids. There was expectation of how my children are supposed to act. I couldn't have that expectation in somebody else. God has expectations for you and me as his kids. And you may not want to be with God's people on a a weekly basis like God commands. You may not want to read your Bible every day like God commands, but God has an expectation for his children. It's still out of love, but it doesn't mean he lets you get away with murder. And again, I, (laughs) I need to edit my brain because there are so many things that are going on in this culture that people will say, well, this is what Jesus would want. Hogwash. I have the Bible that tells me what Jesus wants. 
Don't redefine what Jesus wants because you want to do something that you want to do. Don't be a teenager and say, oh, well, that's what my parents, but I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. See, God is love, but love is not God. God still has a standard and expectation. What's great is God chooses to love me even when I mess up. How awesome is that? And God knew before he created Adam and Eve. And then we talked about this in Sunday school, and Dan was touching base with it with Joyce. God knew we were going to mess up, and he still chose to create us because he loves us. When I had children, before my wife and I had our first one, before she was even pregnant, we realized that once we had children, they would be disobedient. Okay, if you think otherwise... I got a bridge to sell you. I got my oceanfront property. Yeah, we come talk to me. We can make some deals. Okay, we already know that they are not always going to be obedient. But what do we do? We still have them and love them. God knew before this world was created that we were going to mess up, yet out of love, He still created us because He chose to do so. Now keep that in mind because God also hates. And this is sometimes the opposite side of the coin that we don't talk about. Okay, the verse we have written up here, Deuteronomy, Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. People think God is love, he's always love, there's nothing that gets God upset. Anything you want to do, anytime, is fine with God, because God is love. No, God hates certain behaviors. He says, if you put up any kind of graven image, if you are going to commit adultery, idolatry on me, I hate that. Now please understand, God reaches out his hand to people in love, but there are certain things he hates. And you know what? If you're going, oh, I don't understand that. Was there things that your children did when you were, that you hated? <laughs> are there things that you do that you hate? Don't you lie to me. We all have them because it's stupid. I hate when I do that. There are certain things in this world that God hates. Now, Contra, go out in the world and think for a minute. I don't have to rehearse all of them. But you can hear it in your own brain or read it in the paper or look online or whatever and see people who try to describe God as all love and there's nothing that bothers him and there's nothing that should be off limits and everybody should be able to do what they want. And God says, I hate certain things. And we need to realize that. Next slide. Look at these verses. Psalm uh, 45. Thy throne, O God, and this again is a messianic psalm. Thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. There are certain things in this world that God hates. Now, I, I remember, please, we're going to have, we got to talk about this. This is serious business. Next slide. Proverbs. I think this one propped into your mind if I said this. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, Sweet that be, a feet that be swift to running unto mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies, 
and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now we could stop and put a whole nother sermon together right here if we wanted to. But I want you to understand, God says, and this, the way this is worded back in that old, when he says six, yea, seven, is basically saying, God hates us so much, and I want you to understand how much he hates this. Okay? Six, yea, seven are an abomination. God hates these things. Now, again, you can take this and start defining what hands that are uh, shed innocent blood might be. Somebody who speaks lies, somebody who bears false witness, somebody who sows discord among the brethren. God hates these things. You with me? We need to understand, as much as God is the creator, the initiator, he is the love of this world, and we have the ability to be loved, there are certain things that God hates. Because if God didn't make a difference between certain things he dislikes and certain things he likes, it makes no sense. There are certain things God hates. Look at the next slide. God hates sin and those who continue to live in sin. Now, you can read the rest of it because it's up there, but I want to go back to this. God hates sin, and he hates those that continue to live in sin. Now, you say, wait a minute. God was saying he hates the behaviors. It, he, it said he hates those who sow discord among the brethren. He doesn't just hate the discord. He hates the people who are doing it. But the good news It doesn't have to be that way. There's a God in this universe who reached out, who created, who everything he did, his motivation was love. If we would just accept his love, we could step into his love. But please, don't be confused. Don't be tricked into believing that everything that goes on in this world, God just loves because God just is love. He is love. So everything that happens around here is love that is absolutely untrue. So as we're dealing with this, I couldn't bypass this because God is rebuking his children for behaviors they shouldn't be doing. And he says, I'm love. I've loved you. Well, in this world today, people would have a problem applying this verse because they will say, well, God doesn't rebuke us for our behavior. He's just all love. No, there are certain things that God hates and we need to realize that. Okay, but God, oops, we'll go back one, I want to hit that. God's love is offered to anyone and everyone. He might hate the behavior that you're doing. He may hate you because you're in wickedness, but it doesn't have to be that way. God is always offering his love to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means people who don't believe in him are going to perish, but have everlasting life. This is a balance we need to understand with God. Now, next slide. John, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Back to that chapter. You want to go home and read 1 John 4? Excellent passage. Okay. In this was manifest the love of God toward us. How was it manifest? Because that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. 
understand God is love. He created love. He wants a loving relationship with us, but there are certain things that he hates. But he sent his son so that we can live in his love, so that Jesus could be that propitiation. What does that word again means? The satisfying payment. So God, there are certain things that God hates, and it's a problem, and it's a sin, and it's against our account, but he sent Jesus Christ to be the one who would satisfy the debt so that you and I can actually receive the love of God and live in that relationship. It's an amazing thing. But this is important because uh, unless we realize that there are certain things that God does not like, that he hates, that causes us to be separated from him, why would you ever want to be reaching out to him to find his love? That's why I hate the phrase, I can hate because God hates. No. (laughs) We're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. The only way you become a child of God is when you receive the propitiation, that satisfying sacrifice that Christ did. And then you and I are brought into his family. If not, there is hatred towards sin and the wrong behaviors and those who do it. Now, remember, you go like, oh, pastor, thanks, man. Remember I told you the first word that we looked at was the burden of the word of the Lord? This is serious This is not something to be played with. This is not something to be skimmed over. This is a weighty conversation. That there are things that God hates. But if you would receive what Jesus Christ has provided, you could step into his love and for the first time in your life, please God. Amazing, okay? Next Romans, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Man, I love that. I didn't have to get away from my sin first. He showed his love to me while I was still a sinner, while I was still in that place where he hated what I was doing. Christ died for me before I could do anything about it. That's his love. Okay, four, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Go back to the other verse we read, that God loves righteousness but hates wickedness. Because of what Jesus Christ did in your and my life, if you received him as your Savior, is he took my sin and replaced it with his righteousness. Man, how awesome is that? Keep going. All right, so why does God choose to do this? And again, this has to do with, uh, again, we, what we talked about in, uh, in Sunday school. I want to read a couple of passages, a couple of verses here in Malachi, because he deals with this issue of hate, all right? So he says, I loved you, and they're like, well, wherein have you loved us? And you said you hated Esau and, and Edom. Look what it says. The last part of verse 2, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? And I hated Esau and laid the mountains in his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the borders of wickedness 
and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. That word indignation, righteous anger. So he says, I loved you. And they're like, where, where, what do you mean you've loved us? And he says, yeah, but there's certain people I can't love right now because they're living in sin. Now, I read that. Go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Paul addressing this very passage shares something with us and we're going to read this a little lengthy passage but understand this is God's choice. And not exactly the easiest thing to swallow but understand this. Look at verse 13 first just to remind us. As it is written, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated. So he's addressing this very issue that is written in Malachi. But look here at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I want to pause just for a second there. God basically is saying, I am choosing who and what. And now i got to step back and say, who are we to question what God is doing? Dan said it this morning. How many things have happened in, in Paul's life, all these terrible things? How many Christians did he murder so that God could set him up as the example to Timothy and to us of someone delivered by the mercies of God? Now we go back and say, well, but, but, but how could God do that to those poor Christians who died? That's not fair. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Um, you say, well, that's not unfair. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you been fair to your children according to them? Well, last week I did this and you did, yeah, but last week I told you don't do it again. Now go to your room, no TV. Oh, it's, not, it's not fair. As parents, we have the authority to choose whether or not we're going to have mercy or whether or not we're going to have compassion, right? Okay, there are certain things our children do and just say, listen, okay, that was silly, let it go. There's other times we say, nope, sorry. This is time to call this to the carpet. This is the last time we're going to see this. And you and I think, oh, as parents, I have the right to do that. But we don't think that about God. God can choose to whom he wants to show mercy and to whom he wants to show compassion. And do you and I have the right to question it? <laughs> Ask your child if they have the right to question mom and dad. Because I said so. How come we don't give God that kind of credit? God does things. He has a plan. It's perfect. We may not get it. We may not understand it. We may have a problem with it. But God chooses to do what he sees fit. So with that in mind, it says, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. God had a plan. He was working his plan. And he said, I'll have mercy upon whom I have mercy. Look, if you would, to um, verse 17 or verse 16. So then, is it not of him that willeth? nor him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith, Pharaoh, 
even for the same purpose I have raised up, raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he, uh, yeah, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Yea, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Why hast uh, thou, uh, yeah, excuse me, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God, what if God, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endureth or endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, that he may make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath fore prepared unto his glory. You look around this world and you ever see what say what David said? How long will the wicked continue, Lord? When are you going to judge them? How long, Father, are these things going to go on in this world? And I look out that crazy nuthouse we live in now and say, Lord, man, this is, how can this continue? And God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. Don't question the potter. I've made certain vessels in this world that are vessels of wrath on their way to destruction. And I've made, made some that are vessels of mercy. God hates sin. But he loves people. So now I've got a question for you and me. With all that, that God has laid these things out, that he has made each one of us to be able to live in a relationship with him, right? Okay, so we're setting all this up. God hates certain behaviors, but God is a God of love. We can live in his love or we can continue in those behaviors we're not supposed to, that God hates, okay? And you, even a believer, even though your sins are forgiven and you receive mercy, you can still go back to those living in those things that God hates, right? We have a choice. Look at these next slide. God says, um, there are vessels of wrath. And just to make this an explanation, because again, it may not make a lot of sense, Vessels of wrath basically was if a potter were to fire a vessel in the clay, uh, in the kiln, he makes it, fires it, and it comes out with a bunch of cracks in it. Okay, now it wasn't necessarily tossed into the heap right away. Okay, I mean, if it was totally broken open, yes, it was gone. But if it was fired and there were cracks, there were a way that they could fix the cracks. Okay, interestingly enough, um, it was a mixture of clay dust and blood. Go ahead and t- take that one where you want to with that. Cool. So the imperfections in the vessel, you would take the dust and the, cl- and the blood and fill that thing and put it back in the kiln. And it gave it an opportunity for it to seal that crack. And many times a, a potter would do that several times. It would remove it, 
find out what the crack took or it didn't take or there were more cracks, there were more imperfections, and the potter would continually do that, making every effort he could to salvage that vessel. But at a certain point, when he realized that that blood couldn't fix the problem, it didn't take, it wasn't received, and it didn't deal with that imperfection, that vessel was taken and thrown out into the garbage heap. That was a vessel of destruction, a vessel of wrath, meaning the potter gave it every opportunity to try to mend that imperfection, but it just wouldn't take. You know, there are tons of people in this world that God is giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. The blood can be applied, but if it's not going to take, if the, if the person's not willing to receive it, accept it, if they become vessels of wrath, fitted for destruction. Or a vessel of mercy. A vessel of mercy was a landowner, and on a day like this, I can't help but think about this, right? A landowner would put vessels out at the edge of their property full of water so that a traveler who happened to be walking by on a 94-degree day would reach this vessel of mercy and find it full of water. And they could refresh themselves. They could find a place to have comfort and get that water that they so badly needed. Man, I'm telling you, on days like today, I heard a story, a pastor friend was talking about a missionary who um, was in Africa and found that the women would be taking several hours during the day walking from their individual homes to the river to get water and walk back. And sometimes they'd have to make that trip twice a day. So a lot of their time was taken just going to get water. Well, when, as the missionary got settled into that town, they dug a well and they put a spigot right outside of their house. So now all the townspeople, all they had to go to was the missionary's house to receive the, to get the water and fill up. And he said there was a line daily of people just right outside their home. And they used it to be able to minister to those people because there was always people there at the house that they could talk to, they could minister. They became vessels of mercy. They were able to get water from the missionary's house. And it just opened up even more so that they could share the gospel with all these people. They never had to take that long trek to the river. They could go to the missionary's house and get the refreshing water that they needed. Man, talk about using that as an amazing picture. And there were so many people who converted just because of that. You can live in those things that God hates. And God will keep trying to fix you, keep trying to fix you, keep trying to fix you. And if it doesn't take, you know, if you're an unbeliever... You know what that means. If you're a believer, that just means he's probably going to be done with you and he can't use you for his work. Or you can be a vessel of uh, mercy, a place where people can go and get refreshed. And I don't need to talk to you and explain about the whole water of life, do I? God says it's within us, a well springing up unto everlasting life. Let's go to the next part. So which vessel are you? Are we a vessel of mercy? I hope so. That people go to us and they get this. A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Remember we talked about, and God, again, introduces the whole concept of this before he starts picking out all the little problems that they're having. He says, love, I loved you. Man, I loved you. 
And God says, listen, I, I heard this also. That, uh, uh, we talk about there are ten commandments. There are eleven commandments. He says, I want you to love. Love one another. All right, keep going. So, so Malachi, last little bit, and this is what I wanted to leave us with. So we talked about how God loves and how that's awesome. How he hates and that there's consequences with that. And how much of a burden, how serious, how heavy these words are, this message of love. But in this last verse, and before we're done today, God, and God wanted his love to go out through all of Israel. Look at what it says here in Malachi chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this. So he says, I've loved you. Verse 5 says, And your eyes shall see and shall say, The Lord be magnified from the borders of Israel. You see that? God says, listen, I want you to understand this love that I have for you and that it would be magnified, that you would display this love beyond your borders. You know, we're supposed to go on to all the world with the gospel. That didn't change. Israel was the same way. God chose Israel, but he was supposed to, they were supposed to be reaching the entire world with God's love. You and I have a burden, a message to deliver. It's supposed to go beyond us. He says, listen, I loved you. There's certain things I hate, but I love you, and I want you to understand that this ought to be magnified beyond you. You and I have a message to go take to the world. Now, I mean, I suppose I could just sit back on my couch and say, isn't it nice to be loved of God? I'm just so happy and comfortable. But God says, listen, this message is supposed to go beyond you. If you understand what God's love is all about, take it to someone else. Share with them this message. It's a burden. There are things in your life that you ought not to be doing as a child of God. And if you want to be saved, you need to turn away from those sins and receive Jesus Christ for forgiveness and mercy. That's a heavy burden. But once you do, you could be comfortable in God's love. And man, I'll tell you, so many times when Sunday school and morning service are back-to-back like this, Dan talked about the amazing testimony that the Apostle Paul had because God had showed him so so much mercy for all the terrible things that he had done. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, more powerful than a heart that God has changed with his love. We used to live in a world where God hated the things we did and he hated us because we were locked in sin. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and that love becomes available to us and he exchanges our sin with his righteousness for the first time, we can please him. Now go out and tell others what it is that your heart was changed. That you now know the experience of his love. Not attending church and praying prayers and giving money and working in charity. Those things are great, but they don't earn you the love of God. The love of God is given because Jesus Christ took our sins. He was that propitiation. And now we can experience the love of God, and it's life-changing. So take it beyond our borders. Especially in this world today. People are hurting so bad. They have no answers. We have an answer. Jesus Christ is our avenue to step into that love relationship with God. And there's nothing more precious in this whole world.
Do you need to live, uh, live in the love of God? Or you just have religion? Are you on a daily basis? And I know Diane piped in a little bit a minute ago and said something. She talks with him every day. Isn't that great to know? Any moment in any day, our God is with us, and you can just step around and say, Morning, Father. It's hot today. It's not about carrying on some rituals or acting religious. It's based on a relationship of love. Second part, do you need to be a vessel of mercy? Do we need to take this refreshing love that we have of the Lord beyond our borders and share it with somebody else? I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I step back in my own mind and realize I don't deserve your love for one moment. Father, I had a list of things that you hated in my life. And Father, if I'm not careful, they can be there on a daily basis. But Father, I thank you. You chose to reach out in love. Lord, the only reason we know what love is is because you first loved us. You are love. And so, Father, I thank you. There are things, sin, behaviors that you hate, and we know that. But the great thing is you reach out ever, to everyone, every moment, always, with the offer of love. And then, Father, there's things in our lives that if we live according to that love and cherish that relationship, we can be vessels of mercy, Lord. Not just sitting back comfy because we're all set and we can just relax. But Father, that we would take this message beyond the borders, that you would be magnified outside of our little circle, of our little church. Father, please, there are so many people in this world who long for this love they don't even know. Father, thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you are such a perfect heavenly father. In Jesus' name, amen.